This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir, only on LA Talk Radio. Hello there, and welcome to All Things Therapy. I am Lisa Tahir, your host. Welcome to episode 254. I hope that wherever you're listening or watching this from, that you're doing well today. I have a special guest, a dear friend of mine, who will be with us in just a few minutes. I want to share with you a little bit about who I am if you've not listened to the show. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And I practice as an intuitive psychotherapist, which just means I use my intuition to guide my practice. Intuition is something that we all have within us. And you can actually develop skills to really tune into your inner knowing of people, places, and things. We do it all the time, in fact. When you have a gut reaction to something or someone, that is your intuition speaking. So I invite you to reach out to me if you'd like to schedule a virtual session with me. Go to my website, nolatherapy.com. It stands for New Orleans, Los Angeles Therapy, reflecting the two places that I live and work. I'm in New Orleans today. And also at NOLA Therapy, you can find links to order my new book, having to do with healing our deepest core vulnerabilities and wounds through empathy and self-forgiveness. It is endorsed by His Holiness, the 14th Dalai Lama, and is available everywhere books are sold, in Barnes & Noble stores, online at Amazon, Books A Million, Walmart.com, and your local bookstore, like Blue Cypress here in New Orleans on Oak Street or Garden District Bookstore, they are carrying it. And if they're out, they will get it for you wherever you live. I really love a lot of people are connected to their local bookstores. So just give them the title or my name and they can easily order it for you. So you're supporting local. Um, I also offer you an online class at NOLA Therapy. It's, it's a top-rated class, independently rated class. I teach you 20 psycho-spiritual tools for change. These are practices, techniques, and books that I myself have learned from, practices that I have every day, a morning routine, using affirmations, all kinds of cool psycho-spiritual stuff that you can pick and choose from to add to your toolbox. 
So my longest running uh, sponsor of this show is BetterHelp.com. They're a really awesome HIPAA compliant online therapy platform that I have been a practitioner for in the past. And as my listener, they're offering you 10% off to try them out for a month, your first month at 10% off. Go to BetterHelp.com forward slash A-T-T. That is betterhelp.com, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com forward slash A-T-T for all things therapy to take 10% off your first month. And they have licensed therapists in every state that will work with you on any issue that you have going on. They're affordable. They offer financial aid and they do phone and video sessions through their platform. So check them out if you're in need. Additionally, Amazon Music is my platform. They have over 70 million songs to download. And as my listener, they will give you three free months of downloadable music to check them out. Go to getamazonmusic.com forward slash ATT. And lastly, if you like audiobooks as much as I do, you can even get my audiobook on this platform, Audible, 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 period.com. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash all things therapy. And I apologize if that just sounded super confusing. I'm getting a little tongue tied here. Okay, so I want to bring my guest on in just a few moments. We have Dr. Kimberly Smith with us today. She is a licensed child clinical psychologist. She's in full-time private practice here in New Orleans, providing mental health care, psychological testing, and psychoeducation evaluations to children, adolescents, adults, and she also works with the elderly population. Dr. Smith specializes in autism spectrum disorders, intellectual disabilities, and developmental disabilities, as well as dual diagnosis, which simply means mental health and addiction disorders and comorbid medical disorders. She is available to work with you. And at the end of the show and in the show notes will be her phone number and email to reach out to her. Dr. Smith has an undergrad degree from UCLA and in she did an internship in neuroscience and her received her doctorate from LSU. And Dr. Smith, I'm so happy to have you with us. Thank you for um, hosting me. And I want to also thank the listeners for their interest in this topic and also for their time. So I'm very excited. I am too, Dr. Smith. And so what I'm excited about, you are gonna talk to us and I was telling you before we came live, this is so relevant. Number one, how technology impacts childhood development and envy amplification in social media usage. And for you listening or watching, don't tell me you haven't felt envy going on social media, comparing yourself to others, friends, complete strangers, and feeling less than, maybe feeling depressed. My clients come in and tell me I've had to work through this in my own life. So Dr. Smith, where do you want to start with us on these topics? So I'll just kind of start with um, the the use of technology is absolutely an incredible tool. So I don't want anybody to think that I am 
putting uh, technology down or just only talking about the perils of it, but there are a tremendous amount of benefits from technology. And we can see that even in the context of coronavirus and quarantine and hybrid learning, that it's not necessarily a, a replacement for learning, but definitely was is a temporary tool and one that was very useful for a, a number of people to be able to still do their jobs and for students to still try to attend school and for teachers to still try to teach. So part of the reason why this interest, uh, this topic has become such an interest to me and mm -hmm. why I wanted to talk about it today is because technology and um, technology use as it relates to children and teenagers and even adults is ubiquitous. You cannot escape daily life without having using technology in some way. And so what it's I've so found great. so far in private practice is that there, we are really in uncharted territories, uncharted territory with um, how much is appropriate use, how much parents should try to regulate their children's um, cell phone use and also adults too, who may have difficulty with regulating or even kind of feeling like um, Lisa had said that it does amplify envy. It does make certain people feel worse about themselves. And this is a topic that comes up almost a, on a daily basis in private practice. Mm. You know, I'm not surprised, Dr. Smith. And additionally, I'm thinking, I know my friends with children even talking about what is the appropriate age to give their child a smartphone. And you sent me so much really interesting research you know, discussing the pros and cons of educational technology use for young students. Can you talk to us about some of the positive uses? Because I think it's, it's kind of what you get out of things, what you put into them. And I yes. think this subject is exactly in alignment with that. Social media technology can be really powerfully positive for us. Absolutely. So a lot of the information that I got and that I shared with Lisa and that I, I would share with anybody who is interested in getting uh, additional resources actually comes from a federal government flagship of educational technology. And this is um, tech.edu.gov and it's available to, to anybody. And it just talks about the tremendous amount of benefit to having education technology but also uh, provides pretty uh, clear guidelines and is backed by a lot of research as far as when to uh, give kids devices or and at what age. So what I really like about this website is that it's really organized very well, that there is a section on age breakdown according to research. So if parents are interested in kind of what the guidelines are for how age, how old their children are and when they should start introducing technology to them. This is a great resource. In addition to um, the education technology actually giving specific, more specific guidelines for how much uh, children should be on their technology and their smartphones and also when they should be off of it. Yeah. 
You know, I found it interesting in this research that 83% of, okay, so the age that kids are given smartphones, 83% are between the ages of 12 and 15, and that feels appropriate to me, absolutely. 33% of children ages 8 to 11 are giving get, receiving smartphones. And I'm thinking with technology in schools, I'm imagining it's almost like you have to have one to be in school. Can you talk to us about this, Dr. Smith? Well, one of the things that this website does that I think is um, really beneficial for a lot of parents is the vision for equity, active use, and collaborative leadership. But part of the issue with uh, digital citizenship and having access to it is that there are some families who don't have um, access to technology the way that other families do that may have more resources and more means. So there is a digital use divide and that I think it is very important that it almost has felt like the culture that we're in, it feels like technology and smartphone access and having um, social applications and social media is almost starting to feel like it's a necessity. But really, it's more not only a privilege to have, but also something that can enhance, but shouldn't um, be in place of. And that for a lot of families, it is important that they do have uh, technology and communication, and it's a great tool. But at the same time, it's not absolutely necessary for survival, because if you think about you know, history, we've seemed to manage without um, all this technology. No, I appreciate what you're saying, Dr. Smith. And I'm reflecting as you're talking about how when you and I grew up, there was not, we were not in the digital age. There were no cell phones, there weren't computers. And we really learned to socialize face-to-face with each other, play games, problem solve, work it out. What are you seeing in the children and adolescents you work with as a result of having grown up with technology? Are there any consistent issues that you're seeing in your practice or trends that you're noticing as a result? Yes. So what I've noticed is that a lot of, um, especially in the adolescent population and sort of the uh, young adult population that people are using their cell phones uh, for all kinds of things more than ever. And what's interesting is that some people don't actually use their smartphones to call people anymore. They're using it as um, mini computers for just about everything. And the a lot of what I've observed in, in private practice is that One, it's impacting a lot of adolescents and young adults' sleep patterns because Mm. people are staying up on their phones at all hours of the night. And there's a lot of research that suggests the the blue light on the phones actually activate the brain and keep the brain awake. And so Mm. a lot of teenagers tell me that they're on their cell phones at 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 a.m. Wow. And that a lot of them, and a lot of research shows too, that people are using phones more than they're actually in school. I believe that. Another thing, 
Another thing that I've noticed, and this is more um, on the side of the, the perils and having and the caveat of having social media is that it's a it's a gateway to a lot of things, but one of which is that there's a lot of research that it increased sorry on their smartphones. The more they access social media applications, mm -hmm. it increases insecurity, yeah. it increases um, anxiety, it increases depression and isolation, and it can become an echo chamber. And so part of the reason why the talk was called MV amplification is because these devices for many people who are just trying to figure out where who they are and where they fit in, it has amplified their envy of something that makes people feel worse. Mm -hmm. And it's really difficult to be on social media and, and not compare. Yeah. And that for a lot of people, including adults and even older adults, they find that they start to feel kind of resentment because someone is always doing it better or someone always has more money or someone is always doing something more epic. Mm -hmm. I think what I've observed too is that this is kind of like um, smartphone use has become for a lot of people a very passive use yeah. and that it's silent and it's very self-destructive and it can be really underhanded when we start to feel like we don't measure up to the lives that we tell others or we don't measure up to other people's lives that they're posting on social media. Yeah, you know, and, and I'm feeling like just about everyone watching and listening, Dr. Smith, has had an mm -hmm. experience with what you're talking about. I know for even myself, I have social media so I can share my podcast and connect with people. And, and I love it for that reason. Yet there are times when I might feel like I'm looking for connection. So I'll go on a social media app and I'll end up feeling more disconnected than when I started. Can you share with us kind of what is going on there psychologically when we feel that way, using a social media platform to connect yet feeling so disconnected? So this is something um, that I talk to, you know, friends and family and clients about. There's a, a really big difference between being connected and actually connecting. Mm. And the connected part is being connected to social media, where you feel like you have all these followers or you have all these friends. But the difference is that face-to-face -face interactions are very different than the interactions that we tend to have online. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of differences with um, just how we communicate. And I tell people that in person, I think the research is varies on far as far as percentages, but at least 60% of communication is nonverbal. Right. And so when right. you take that, um, when you take that out of the the context and you, you're just online, it becomes solely the content that you're posting. Right. And that what's really interesting is that as far as, you know, access to these things, that social media makes everyone accessible for comparison. This used to be really limited to our neighbors and schools and our immediate environment. And now social media applications 
has opened up that um, accessibility of comparison to the entire world. Mm -hmm. It's also opened us up for being vulnerable to people that we don't even know who can sometimes make us feel badly about ourselves Yeah, and people that we don't even know. So I think as far as the psychology of it, that it can be tempting 24 hours a day. And I actually, one, am totally guilty of, um, you know, feeling envy of others when I've used social media. And that too, I had to look this up, but there are over 2.87 million smart, smart applications in the United States alone. It's so many. And what's happened is that the smartphones have really become an addiction. Yeah. And I think a lot of people may not even realize how just how addicting they are. So phones often light up the same areas of the brain as sugar or um, recreational drugs. Yeah. And that these smartphone applications, they're hiring uh, software developers to make them as addicting as possible. Right. And that these software developers are, are also extremely savvy with kind of setting up artificial value of things. And you can see that in uh, Facebook with how many likes that people get yes. or in Snapchat, how many streaks that people have or points for, uh, you know, designating where your, where, uh, your location. So it's, it assigns an artificial value in a way that it kind of hooks kids, hooks young people, and even adults to feel like there's some value in posting or sharing or or just getting likes. Yes. And that really does uh, impact people's um, self-esteem. It does. And I want to ask you, so I've, I've worked with a, a newly licensed therapist in California, and she was sharing with me just kind of off the cuff that in the future, the DSM, that's the Diagnostic Statistical Manual that all mental health professionals use to diagnose people, that it could include social media issues. Do you know anything about that, Dr. Smith, coming up in the future? I do know that there have been talks about it and uh, that when you look online and just look at the research, people kind of jokingly refer to people taking a lot of pictures of themselves as like selfie-itis. Yes. Um, But there are actual, there are professionals who are trying to make more of a push for making this more diagnostic because anytime that anybody does a certain activity that starts to impair their their functioning, their interpersonal functioning, schoolwork, um, or even just their occupational functioning, that's kind of signifies that there be there may be more of an issue with smartphone use than just something that people do recreationally or that people do as a means of entertainment. And so I do think that I have there there is a trend to make more of this not pathological, but something that uh, people do need to be aware of because it really can impact uh, people's lives. Yes. There's a really interesting documentary that I watched on digital addiction. 
Okay. And it was very interesting because it was uh, featuring young people, but that they truly just were almost apoplectic not having their smartphones wow. or not checking in or not checking in with other people. Mm -hmm. And so it's been very interesting to kind of watch the shifting tides and that some people are taking uh, this excessive cell phone use more seriously. Yes. When I was doing some of this research, what I found was that there are people who actually have physiological symptoms from being on their cell phone so much. And one of those, uh, one of the research articles I read was about people who actually have calcification on their neck from um, looking down at their phones as opposed to looking more um, directly. So oh when we gosh. talk to people, when we talk to people face to face, we talk, we tend to look at their eyes and their face and to get feedback. When we look at cell phones, most of the time people are bent downwards, right. like with their lap. And so it really has affected posture and wow. other things just beyond the idea of being connected versus connecting. The, that, that actually helps me understand the question I asked you, and Dr. Smith, I, I'm thinking one of the most debilitating issues stemming from social media is cyberbullying and, and the kids that have taken their life, lives committed suicide because of cyberbullying. We saw it. I know I had noticed it during the election, just the, the hatred going on between people that even know each other. And yes. it's, just, it, it's like it was so um, like disturbing to me how how we can let ourselves go can you kind of shed some light on cyberbullying and and when people can just get really mean even to those people they know over topics and just not even filtering oneself to have any manners or politeness or be understanding what is that all about so i think that um this particular area is sort of uncharted territory and because the kind of comparisons that people used to do before smartphone applications were invented is that a lot of the interactions were face-to-face. -face. So what we are, what older generation of people that are used to is maybe bullying, but face-to-face. -face. Yeah. We do know that the, the interactions and the communication patterns that people have when they're face-to-face -face is very different than uh, the communication patterns that people have being online. Mm -hmm. There's a certain anonymity that kind of comes with being online where there are people who definitely pretend to be people that they're not or that uh, in-person bullying, you know, used to be just about talking badly to others or backstabbing one another. Now, cyberbullying isn't just about I mean, um, in-person bullying isn't just about face-to-face -face interactions, but cyberbullying is much more kind of insidious and it's much more quiet mm -hmm. and it's much more covert. There are children, preteens and teenagers and all kinds of um, clients who've told me that they've been solicited by people they know or people they don't know for news. Wow. And it's not just strangers that can make your children feel uncomfortable. It's messages being sent to anyone online 
and that we have these devices now that almost make cyberbullying that much more convenient and easy for people who have maybe nefarious intentions. Yeah. And sometimes these messages can be sent anon anonymously. I think that the communication pattern for online bullying is very different and that people almost have more of a, a brazen attitude or things that they would maybe type online, they hit send and then they go hide or go yeah. do something else is very different than the kind of confrontation that you might have with somebody face to face. Absolutely. Yes. And I think that for some people, they feel maybe more empowered or just more confident in typing something that's hostile or bullying or um not very, not having an open-minded point of view. Yeah. That it's a lot easier to do that online than it is to do that to you and read someone's face. It is. And being in person, in, in that person's energy, in their vicinity, I feel like most people would not say some of those things that they're saying on social media. And to address the other part of what you're saying, Dr. Smith, how can parents protect their kids from cyberbullying and and intervene so there are a lot of um, a lot of resources out there for parents and adults I think that sometimes parents don't realize just how much resources there are until it actually happens and that parents and children and adults too can absolutely report suspicious activity Mm -hmm. questionable or scary content. They can also, there are local numbers and national numbers that they can call in addition to um, online websites that you can actually go to to report suspicious activity. So there are a lot of resources available for preventing or reporting activity that parents are not comfortable with and Part of that uncharted territory is soliciting minors for inappropriate uh, content or even photographs mm -hmm. that could be considered pornography. And so if those things happen, that there is help and they can help, they can get guidance. Uh, there is a suspicious activity hotline. Okay. And that number is 1-800-434-434. 8007. Okay. And what is that called? I'll post it in the show notes, Dr. Smith. Yes. It's called Suspicious Activity Hotline. Awesome. Thank you. And there are other ways, because we're in Louisiana, there are other ways to keep, uh, keep Louisiana, I'm sorry, keeping Louisiana safe. And there are three ways to report uh, suspicious activity. And that's you know, of course, to call um, the state police. Okay. There's a website that's available. And then the suspicious activity hotline that we just talked about. Part of the benefits for social, uh, for technology and those 2.87 million um, applications and counting is that there is, there are applications that can help track where your kids are. Yes. If you, if they're out, not that you want to stop where your kids are, but, you know, just making sure that they're in a safe location or the location that they said that they were going to be. 
Absolutely. I think one of them is called the, the 360 app. Oh, yeah, like 360? Yeah. Um, yes. Circle app and CSend app. So there are lots of applications that make uh, can make children and parents and adults feel safer. Thank you for that information, Dr. Smith. And I want to ask you, I don't know if it's still true for you. I always find it interesting that people I know that that don't have social media apps. Are you still off of social media? I think you were on at one point, and I just wanted to address that because you yeah. can still be connected and have a full life without social media. Absolutely. So the only social media I actually have is just Instagram. And there is... Um, the reason why I like it is just be, is because it shares it's sharing pictures. I used to have Facebook, but don't have Facebook anymore. What I found was that I was starting to get addicted to it, and that I was kind of mindlessly or passively just um, scrolling through and looking at other people's pages. And then I realized that what I value is face-to-face interactions. Mm -hmm. I value meeting up with people and catching up with them in the the ways that we used to do before, which is just face-to-face and to give people hugs and that you can't do that when you're on Facebook or other, um, you know, smart applications. Yes. You know, I've been aware, Dr. Smith, when I'm spending time with people like this weekend, I was with my family, my sisters and stepmom. And at one point, you know, we were interacting, our phones were put away as we had our meal and then we're hanging out. And then at one point I noticed it got kind of quiet and all of us just got on our smartphones. And my my sibling, Maria, who's a computer programmer, noticed like, oh, everybody's on their phone. Like, let's you know, we all just kind of laughed. And so, and I, I can't help but observe in elevators, just the smartphone is a way to to try to even manage anxiety instead of saying hello to the person next to you, for instance, taking out your phone when you know there's nothing on there <laughs> at all. I mean, I know because I've done it. I take it out. There's absolutely nothing to be looking at, but it's almost like a nervous twitch that we go to our phone. And I've just been trying to become aware when I do that without judgment, just, huh, what's going on in your body that you're grabbing your phone right now? And do you, how do you help people in your sessions to navigate cell phone usage if they want to have more awareness and, and a healthier relationship? So I think it's important to kind of uh, have the teenager or the, or the cell phone user to ask themselves what they're using their phone for. Oftentimes in situations like the one that you're describing with your family is that smartphones kind of represent not being present. Mm -hmm. So whatever it is that you're doing on your, on your phone in the company of others means that you're not really being a hundred percent present to the situation. Oftentimes phones kind of represent or smartphones represent like being close with people who are far away, but people who are close to you far away. Mm-hmm. So it really kind of keeps people who are close to you or in your immediate vicinity kind of far away or at a distance. And I just kind of jokingly refer to uh, smartphone use with 
no matter what age you are, as kind of like the digital zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Because being on, a smart, on your smartphone really does make you less present. It makes you more distracted or, or can make you more distant from the people that you're immediately with. And that it does kind of keep people um, at a distance. Yeah. And that, you know, smartphones also split attention. It drastically or almost uh, eliminates situational, situational awareness. Mm -hmm. And that is a really important issue to bring up because I can't tell you, and, and I'm sure that every listener has, can relate to someone being on the phone while they're driving or someone being on their phone while they're walking across the street. Yes. Or people posting selfies um, right at the edge of a cliff. <laughs> and that it does reduce situational awareness. So one of the things that I, that I do find kind of helpful and especially to review with smartphone users is to ask yourself what purpose that um, you're accessing your phone, what purpose does that serve? To just kind of be mindful of what application you're using and why. Mm -hmm. And also that another major issue that I wanted to just bring up very quickly is that yeah. a lot of user, smartphone users don't realize, and especially kids, that when you post something or post a picture, it lives online forever. It does. And there's always a digital footprint, no matter whether you post something, whether you uh, type something and then kind of delete it, or that you um, make a comment either on Twitter or on Facebook or anything like that. It lives on, on the internet forever. So I think it's really important to have the smartphone user ask themselves certain questions like are the pictures are the photos they're about to share are they ones that you want other people to read or see are they have are they comfortable with sharing that with their mom and dad and siblings the police department if it's anything questionable or suspicious and that with personal information whether it, whether it's good or bad to ask yourself, do I need to make it so public? Yes. And so I think just being kind of mindful of what you're using the smartphone for and technology for can really help with just kind of managing its use in a really beneficial way. And I like, Dr. Smith, what you sent me in some of your material on this topic, uh, guidelines to posting, you know, just bringing mindfulness, as you said, to our cell phone usage. Like, what purpose does my post or update serve? Like, do I need this to be public? And to just take a moment to pause instead of just firing off whatever thought popped into your head, just bringing some mindful intention about what am I really trying to say? What is my deeper need is what I hear in that. Like, what is my yes. need right now? Because often I know that when I look at my deeper need around certain posts, it's really to connect with someone and I'm better served to pick, the, pick up the phone and call a friend and be like, hey, 
I'm feeling this right now, you know, and that actually takes care and alleviates my emotional underlying issue versus posting something. And I think I see so often people post just on on that whim, just so um, impulsively. And I think you'd be better served to possibly call someone, reach out to someone and talk about your experience instead of posting it. Would you agree, disagree? Absolutely. And another thing that I have done with my only social media application that I use, not that um, using smartphone applications is negative in any way, is that I log off. Every time that I'm on an application, I purposely log off because the next time that I want to log on, I have to be mindful and it just kind of helps me to reflect on what the actual purpose of accessing this application is rather than just having it uh, free access or just logged on all the time. I like that. So that that it does become a little bit more of a mindful exercise in reflecting and asking myself what benefit it has to actually engage with this application. I think that's smart, building in another barrier, so to speak, or accountability to, do I really want to go through this to to say what I'm thinking to say? I like that. Right. You know, and Dr. Smith, one of the things since we talked about you coming on the show that I've become aware of since my book has come out and I'm being interviewed, that there's the occasional uh, podcaster host that requests to know, you know, what's your social media following on all the platforms and have declined interviewing me because I don't have a certain number of followers. And that's always bewildered me because I know, and I feel like, doesn't everybody know this, that at least on Facebook, you buy all those follows and likes. I mean, you pay like to boost your site for say six months, you know, $30 a month to get the 10,000 followers or likes. Like it's not based upon at all people you're meeting on the street and saying, hey, you know, I'm Lisa, follow my page. You know, it's just so interesting how even certain things, you know, you're following is a parameter to if you'll be interviewed or not. When I know on YouTube and Instagram, there's so many companies that you can pay to grow your following. And it's not even an organic measure of, of who you're connected with. Do you have any th- insights on that to share? It's just like kind of been like, oh my gosh, I can't even believe this is a parameter. Yeah, I think that, again, I think that kind of points to almost an artificial value. Yes. And that that's just, if that's how some people kind of um, operationally define their value or the utility of something, then that's fine. But that's just, it's different from my core values. And it is a little bit different from the um, values that I have. And when people started talking about influencers, yeah, um, I actually kind of giggle when I hear that because we're all influencers in different ways. Yes. And having a number behind, uh, having a number doesn't assign any more value to me than it does to somebody else. Absolutely. And that we can, we can influence uh, people's behavior or just, you know, influence our friends and be a support to them and all the other benefits that come with face-to-face interactions in ways that 
quote unquote influencers who have never met the person on the other end, that we we have that ability to influence too. So I do kind of um, kind of giggle at that, not to depreciate in any way people who do take that very seriously or that that is their livelihood or income in any way. I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying that that's just not where, that's not how I operationally define my value. I love what you're saying, Dr. Smith. And on numerous interviews, I've shared that we are all influencers to our people, places, and things that we habituate in our social circle, and our family circle. You're being looked at. People are noticing what you're doing and not doing. And even just not like to be judgmental or critical, like often I'm inspired by the people I surround myself with, by my friends, and they have influenced me and I influence them as well. And I work professionally with influencers as a therapist. And it's just such an emotional roller coaster for them often to, to have their income. And then as a, as a, byproduct, their self-worth really connected to these numbers. And if they're not posting every day or multiple times, seeing thousands of followers fall off and what that does to them psychologically. And so I've really been working with my influencer clients to redefine success, redefine their influence even, and how to post as authentically as they can, knowing this is also their job and even detaching like we might do at work. You know, this is my profession. It's not who I am and setting up some kind of internal boundary within yourself so that one's self-esteem is not plummeting or rising based upon followers and, and the financial monetization of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, that it's just really important to also kind of apply the Goldilocks rule. What's that? The Goldilocks rule is uh, one I kind of apply to everything, which is finding a balance. Uh, not too much, not too little, but just right. Mm. And I think that striking a balance between uh, smartphone use versus face-to-face -face interactions and just everything in life, too much or too little, but just kind of what's right for the smartphone user or what's right for just human beings in general with all things. I like that. Dr. Smith, how can people reach you? If listeners, viewers want to reach out, what are the best ways? And I will have it in the show notes as well. So they can, probably the best way would be to email me. Yeah. And they can email me through my work at Pelts. I'm sorry, K smith at pelts p-e-l-t-s dash kirkhart k-i-r-k-h-a-r-t dot com i have that and i'll put that in the show note for people thank you so much dr smith for your time and this topic that is so current and affects all of us absolutely well thank you so much for having me on and thank you for your time and interest you're welcome i look forward to seeing you likewise Bye. Okay, bye. Thank you for watching and listening today, you all. That concludes my show with Dr. Kim Smith, clinical psychologist, speaking to us about envy, amplification, and social media usage, and how technology affects childhood development. You can find the show everywhere podcasts are. 
And on your favorite platform, please give me a written review and star rating. It matters so much. It is the algorithm for this podcast to be shown to more people. Definitely in line with social media usage and its pros and cons. I really would appreciate your review and rating. Reach out to me, book a session, take my online class, nolatherapy.com, and reach out to me personally, Lisa, at nolatherapy.com. All my love to you. Bye. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir, only on LA Talk Radio. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.